Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Raik van Ikak and my guest today is Vanessa van Vieren, the fund manager of the Sunlum Small Cap Fund. Vanessa, welcome to the show. We live in exciting times and uh, markets all over the world remains extremely volatile. We see daily movements of one and a half to two percent and these are not exceptional anymore. What do you think uh, of the market environment uh, in general at the moment? Okay, good morning, Rick. Um, it's nice to chat to you. Um, I think it's, you're touching on exactly what we're backing with. Um, I think it's a very, very difficult market at the moment, and particularly for the last couple of quarters. I mean, we've had exceptional volatility. Um, every time I'm writing, my, I just finished my latest quarterly commentary, and again, reflecting on the high degree of volatility in the investment environment. Um, and it's, I mean, it's just a symptomatic of a market that just doesn't know what's going on. I think, I think people don't know how to value assets clearly in this environment. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, and and so this, this, I mean, these very sharp moves are very difficult to navigate. And as a result, I mean, we have to actually be very careful when we're picking stocks because we have to be very risk cognizant at the moment. I think. Well, let's talk about a small cap fund. Obviously, uh, uh, small caps are more prone to uh, react to South African or local conditions. And we are seeing a lot of political uh, you know, surprises virtually on a weekly basis. Uh, how does that influence your investment approach? Yes, I mean, it's very important. I think the domestic environment is the most concerning thing for us at the moment. And I've always highlighted the, exactly the point you've made about the sensitivity of the small and mid-cap stocks to the domestic economic environment. And I mean, we see very, very little respite there. Um, and, I mean, we're basically pretty much expecting zero economic growth this year. And as a result, I mean, that's going to affect a number of the companies in our area. Um, and I think what we're doing is, and from a, from a political environment, just in terms of the, I mean, that's had a massive influence on the RAND, and that's been, it's played out a little bit less in our area, just given the fact that we don't have a huge amount of RAND sensitivity in terms of RAND hedge stocks in our space. But we do have the indirect sensitivity of what it then does to inflation and all of those things and consumption. So what we've done is we've very much been aware of these macroeconomic risks. And we've tried to actually steer the portfolio in a way that we're trying to actually avoid some of that sensitivity to the economy by focusing on particular sectors that we think are going to be a little bit more resilient in terms of our exposure in the portfolio. But it still remains risky. There are only a a few uh, small cap funds. I think my last count was around seven or eight. You know, the market over the past few years have been driven by the large uh, industrial stocks, um, which you do not invest in, and consequently you, the returns of those funds are, you know, below the the all share, for example. Who would typically invest in in a small cap fund? Look, I think um, you know what you're talking about has happened. So, you know, you have that you've played out that that sort of SAP type of theme that's been playing out. But um, again, I think the underperformance that you have seen potentially in the small and mid caps in, in last year, particularly, has um, has not repeated this year. We've seen quite a strong um, push in small and mid caps early this year in the first quarter. But again, a lot of that has been driven by the resource rally that we've seen. We are not looking at the short term movements. I mean, I think in the long term, um, we still hold the thesis that small and mid caps are going to generate significant alpha above the broader market. 
and it's about what stocks you pick and the longer you have to have a longer term investment horizon. So linking back to your, your question about what type of investor should be investing, it's definitely somebody who is patient in terms of their investment horizon. They've got to have a medium to longer term horizon. And I say that's typically, you know, from four to ten years, even up to fifteen years type of investment horizon. So typically a younger investor with a little bit more of a risk appetite. And you have to have patience for these downturns and these periods of underperformance because you will get that in, in this market. Your mandate as a, as a small cap fund um, does not allow you to invest in the top 40 shares, um, but many of the big resource shares uh, have actually dropped out of the top 40 last year um, due to the, the big sell down. Have you invested in some of those shares? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very interesting question. In fact, we've just been looking at, we've been doing some analysis on just the return trends we've seen. And obviously, this massive dichotomy we've had in the market so far this year, where resources have had an incredible rally and then small, um, and financials and industrials have been a lot more muted. And um, I think in, in terms of our particular positioning, we've typically had a, a, a very little exposure to resources in the last few years of managing the fund. And that's been really just around the risks in that area of the market. We felt that we haven't been able to, to have a higher level of conviction in those stocks. And so we've avoided that. But as a result, that's obviously hurt us um, in this first quarter because we haven't had exposure to that. But um, if we are picking stocks in this area of the market, we're picking it extremely vigilantly. So we're really, really looking for something that's offering significant upside, that's got a significant compelling investment case. We're not just looking for broad-brushed resource exposure, you know, trying to capture that area of the market. So it's a, it's a high-risk area for us. And, you know, we have a dedicated resources team, which assists us in that regard. So um, we are looking at the area. We do have a little bit of exposure, but it's very, very measured at this point. How do you evaluate a company? What research do you actually do? What is your process to actually identify an investment opportunity? Okay, that's a great question because I think that's pretty much the backbone of everything we do. And whenever I talk to potential clients or investors, this is the biggest area that I emphasize. I think, um, you know, focus on research is critical for us. Um, we have a very big team. So it's myself and another um, staff member. And then we also leverage off the broader equity research team of 12 analysts in, in the fund in the Sunlam equity team. And um, we do, when, I, when I say we do research, it's not, we're not doing back-of-the-matchbox calculations. We're doing very, very rigorous modeling of companies. So we try and look at a significant amount of history in a business. We, we literally get the annual reports of the library. We model the business. We build in financial history 10 to 15 years. And then from that point, we value the business going forward. So it's a very big emphasis on proper modeling and proper um, financial analysis. We're not just doing um, back-of-the-matchbox calculations. And when we invest in a company, we have to know it exceptionally well how it makes money, what is its competitive advantage, and what are the risks in this investment. The last time we spoke, there were 46 companies in the portfolio. Well, that suggests that you, you don't invest in every company you actually uh, um, you know, do a lot of research in. What is that ratio? How much research do you do and then not invest in those companies? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I mean, we're basically covering, from a, from a detailed research perspective, we cover the entire small and mid-cap indices, those two indexes, which is essentially 120 shares, which includes a big property component of that. Um, and and when I, those, those stocks are properly modeled. So um, we are also analyzing some stocks on the fledgling side of the market, which is very much the, the bottom end of the JC, the, the smallest area. Um, and there it's also another 20 to 30 stocks. So we have a broad universe of about 150 stocks that we're covering, and then from that we're selecting the best ideas. Um, so, so definitely a lot more concentrated versus what we are covering.
Let's look at some of your individual um, picks. Uh, Kiro represents the biggest um, you know, stock in your portfolio, uh, 6.14% of the portfolio. You've held the stock for a while and it is done phenomenally well. What is your uh, you know, outlook for, for Kiro? Do you think it can go even higher? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a stock that it performed exceptionally well for us in the final quarter of last year, but then it's it's had quite a bad performance so far this quarter. Um, it's been a bit of a drag on our returns, but we haven't actually um, changed our fundamental view on the stock. And again, it's, it's not taking a short-term view there. I, I know there's a lot of um, criticism in the market about the high PE multiple, about the high level of growth that's required to unwind that PE multiple. But we're not looking at it from a PE multiple perspective. We've looked at it from a fundamental investment case. We've tried to model the opportunity that they can actually get in the market and then try to quantify that. So we've looked at this business in 10 to 20 years' time. What would it look like based on their targets and based on what we think their natural market share could be? And then from that perspective, we then model that back down to, to a very granular, detailed level and we derive an intrinsic value for the stock. And on that basis, we still see significant upside and we still see a, a long-term story that's going to play out. So we're not concerned about the sort of short-term movements up and down based on the concern about the Haki multiple. We're taking a much longer-term view on Kiro and, and it's potential in the South African market. Other significant holdings um, are Adapt IT, PSG, Bola, Metcalf, um, and uh, even Signia is in the portfolio, and they all have done phenomenally well, really you know, above market uh, expectations, over 50% uh, in many cases. What are your favorite stocks uh, at the moment, uh, the stocks you are buying at the moment? So I think in terms of our top 10 and the stocks that you've mentioned that have done fairly well, I mean, there we're quite consistent and stable. We we're not trading in and out. I and mean, we're taking, as I've, said, indicate, I've indicated earlier, a longer-term view on those shares. So I think on the core holdings, you know, we're still happy. Even though they have performed well, we're still holding them for the reason that I've indicated, that we see longer-term upside in the longer term. But um, what we are looking at now in terms of some new ideas is we've probably been looking more on the sort of mid-cap side of the market and, and some of the more beaten-down industrial stocks that have had a very tough last three to five years. And I think a couple of examples there would be where we're dabbling at the moment would probably be something like an Afrox or an Omnia um, and a Grinrod. Those are the sort of stocks a little more risky in terms of the profile and a lot more sensitive to the economy and, and things like the agricultural sector. But we're taking particular views there where we're seeing opportunities because these stocks have been under so much pressure and there's a lot of negative news flow to actually pick them up into that negative news flow because we think going forward they're well-run businesses and they'll offer us significant upside. So that's actually where we've been dabbling a little bit on, on the riskier side of the portfolio for now. Well, that's an interesting approach. You know, many stocks have been sold down um, and then you hope for a, a turnaround, uh, you know, in the valuation of that stock. Um, how do you actually evaluate a stock that is actually uh, declining quite significantly. Uh, some of those stocks you've mentioned have been sold down aggressively. Uh, you know, do you try and, uh, you know, find a, a bottom for that stock? Yeah, I think that's extremely difficult is to time it. I think that's probably the hardest part of, of investing. Um, but what we try and do to, to take some of that risk out of it is to look at scenarios. So um, in terms of each of our companies that are analyzed, we've got a, a base case, a bull case, and a bear case scenario. And those valuations will then give us an idea of the ranges that the price should be valued at. And, and some of these companies that we're picking up now you know, are trading at discounts in our, in our assessment of their, their worst-case scenario valuation. And in that kind of valuation, you know, we apply 
into perpetuity for the company, terrible conditions, and we value the business on that basis. We typically, on a through the cycle, we want to look at the more normalized earnings of a company. So we're not looking at, you know, the peaks and the troughs. We want to understand how business performs through the cycle, and typically with these companies that are underperforming in the short term, that are underperformed for a couple of years based on the cyclical pressures in their businesses, on a more normalized basis, these companies will recover, and we'll value it on that scenario. And then basically, if there's significant upside to that scenario, that's when we're picking up the shares. And the timing is very difficult. You, you can often like underperform for a bit holding the share. You can be too early or even you can be a little bit too late. Um, but we try our best to, to get into them at those points, either below worst case scenario or below our normalized intrinsic value. I want to talk about the costs um, of the fund. Uh, in, in the fact sheet, you state that there's an advice uh, initial fee, an upfront fee of 3.42%. That is the maximum upfront fee you can charge, um, as well as a manager initial fee of 2.28%. Why do you charge initial fees? Rick, I mean, that's, that's a difficult question for me to answer because obviously being part of this broader group, um, you know, we have a particular pricing philosophy, which as portfolio managers, um, we haven't been directly involved in. That's, that's part of being part of a bigger company. Um, so I think what, what we try and do is we offer different fee classes. And so, um, you know, for your larger investors coming in, there is a much, a much lower reduced fee. And, and I think that's the best way that we can manage it. And from our side, I think there's constant pressure on fees. So we will remain vigilant that, um, that we should always look at that from, in terms of the risk of our new investors. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing dialogue in the business around the fee structure. Just lastly, uh, we will see a new stock exchange um, in South Africa in the near future, the ZARX exchange. Do you see this as an opportunity? I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's it's very welcome to have new competition in the market. And, and for us, and particularly in the smaller market side, you know, it, this is great because it's another potential access point for a whole lot of new companies potentially and a new potential breeding ground for, for smaller mid-caps. So I'm very excited about the prospects of it and I, and I absolutely welcome new ideas and new investment opportunities coming to the market. Thank you, Vanessa. That was Vanessa Van Furen, the fund manager of the Sunlum Small Cap Fund.